Hello and welcome to the Human Factor Podcast, a series of conversations discussing the topics and themes influencing the world of work today. My name is Michael Esau. My name is Simon Humphreys. So our episode today, Simon, is entitled The Connected Experience. And we are absolutely delighted to welcome as our guest, Mark Starfield. Mark has been delivering HR transformation programs over the last 17 years at leading global organizations, including Vodafone, where he has been since 2018, AstraZeneca, BP, Barclays. And prior to this, Mark was a management consultant at Accenture, IBM and PwC. Mark holds a master's from the University of Oxford, an MBA and a Bachelor of Commerce with honours. His current research interests include HR's transition to orchestrators of work and AI ethics and value attainment within his people process technology framework. Mark, thank you very much for being a guest on this episode of the uh, Human Factor Podcast. Welcome. Thank you very much, Michael. It's, it's a real privilege to join you and Simon. So we're going to have a very rich conversation today, I think, Mark. I mean, the title of the episode is The Connected Experience, which are labels, if you like, that have a lot of meaning, a different meaning, I think, to a lot of people. And I, and I think what we're hoping to do today is just take them apart a little bit give it some of that meaning, give it some of that relevance. But let me just put the episode into context, as we always do for the people listening in. So, over the last 15 to 20 years, as the age of consumerization and digital has taken hold, the fabric of how we live our lives has changed beyond recognition. We now have the capability to curate and design the experiences that help us to live our life the way we wish, how we communicate, how we learn, how we connect, how we shop, how we transact, how we consume music, entertainment. This has then led to a broader decision about how the different elements are connected together. So I can surface data in one location, access all records at any one time, connect different devices around at home or with my car, and much more. Organisations in the last 20 years, and this very much links into the future of work, have needed to understand this changing context and replicate the experience people are having at home. For many, this has required a reimagination of data, process, insights, roles, operating models, permission models, and much more. But it has presented an amazing opportunity for organizations to enhance how they execute their strategy, drive efficiencies when possible, and be even more effective with all decision taken related to people. So we welcome this opportunity to discuss this enormous topic today with Mark, who has been championing and created integrated and connected platforms and experiences over the last 15 to 20 years, most recently as the group head of HR programs and systems at Vodafone. So as I said, it's a chunky topic. The title of the episode is The Connected Experience. So may I ask, what does the word connected mean to you, Mark? A connected experience for me is where, where people can confidently bring all elements that make them unique and valuable to an organization to bear. Put another way, their whole self is welcome and encouraged. For me, that definition, it's important that the, the concept of these connected experiences should be seen as a collective of integrated experiences, multiple processes and data coming together, but also how you feel about the organization. And that these integrated experiences are, are composed of related patterns and that they're almost infinitely complex, given that each person is different in terms of your or my definition and construct of what connected it means to me, what engagement means to me. So for me, it's really important that uh, organizations are very purposeful in understanding the, the impact of the organization's personas, the types of people, the market dynamics, to uh, relate these to new processes or change in a way that kind of makes sure that these things are connected. Positively, in my view, there are foundation elements that unite these connected experiences. Uh, for example, anchoring in organizational purpose, having a shared outcome and expectation of how to reach that outcome, uh, which speaks to kind of process and values and behaviors. But those things for me weave into what connected means. I need to connect those, but also how I connect to the organization. 
I think central to connected definition is a belief in a shared vision. And it's to kind of create teams that are working together and directly linked to employee engagement, discretion on effort and productivity. Um, there's a nice uh, quote from Dan Goldman. He did a, an HSH, uh, Harvard Business Review paper and it says, leadership that gets results. And, and he sums it up nicely for me. It says, less me, more them equals success. I like that a lot. It's interesting just listening to you talk there about the foundational elements, shared outcomes, values, behaviors. You've got the different lenses, haven't you now, right? Because you've got the organizational lens, because there's a strategy to execute, but you've got the individual lens. You know, the individual who, as a consumer, as I mentioned there in the in the context, people now are connecting technologies around their home to achieve a certain outcome. Now, in our home, Mark, on a Saturday morning, there's umpteen Alexas in every single room in the house and one of my daughters will play music in every single room. That's her idea of a connected a connected experience. It means different things, doesn't it, to, to, to different people. But but I think it needs that work. Before I just dive into the the second, if I may, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. We've been debating, Simon and I, and many of our colleagues, this word experience over the last week because I'm not sure if it's as well-defined as it could be at the moment, because it means different things to different people. I, I I, think it's a very emotive sensation, if you like, from an outcome perspective. What does experience just mean to you personally today? Experience for me means how I actually engage with services and processes. I think there's a, there's a growing expectation that what we receive at work, I often use the word consumer-grade experiences, but it is how I actually engage with the organization and how I feel about that organization, both in my personal capacity, but also in my professional capacity. It's not just the technology, it's what's behind that. And what, what are the beliefs embedded in me in terms of how I engage? So how do I believe that this process or experience is right for me and what do I need to be concerned about? That for me, see, I think is the key word, believe. Do I believe what sits behind the process? Do I yeah. believe what sits behind the transaction? That for me is then engenders my reaction. Am I c committed to it or am I compliant with it? And that has a massive bearing on the quality of the outcome, the relationship, or, or, or whatever it may be. No, sorry, I was going to say, it leads to some of your earlier podcasts, um, how AI will influence us. But I think behind that AI and, and that experience is going to be the belief. Do I trust this? Do I think it's right in this context? And do I believe you're using my data in a responsible way? And again, if we come back to that word of belief, and, and then that will shape how I experience this experience. If I trust it, um, if it's not the best UX in the world, it's probably not the end of the world, but it's about how I feel about it and believe in it. I was playing around with a future episode, interestingly, last night, and the word that is lying at the heart of the episode is the word loyalty. And it was interesting because I was... So sort of relating it backwards. And, and the two words I wrote to my pad last night were belief and trust. They're inherent, aren't they? They're, they really are inherent in, in a lot of how we feel about, you know, how things are done. So much of the drive, if we like, for a connected experience, I think has been driven by the advancements in technology over the last 20 years and the advent, as we've discussed, of consumerization. But how much onus, therefore, is there on organizations to constantly reimagine how work is done? How is it executed? And then, especially then considering the backdrop of what we experience outside of work today. So where does that onus lie, if we like? I think it's critical, if you're thinking from a, an HR and organizational perspective, uh, in terms of connectedness and engagement, I think it's critical that organizations strive to what I term is deliver these consumer-grade experiences with empathy. Um, yeah. The kind of my catchphrase I often use is employee experience-led digital-only design. And that suggests that even though you can potentially do a digital solution or automate something, it doesn't mean you always should. And uh, really thinking about that as a starting point and kind of have a, a playbook which starts kind of working backwards from the employee experience, not just can you technically do something. In my MSc research, I did a little bit of time linking technology implementations and benefits realization. And one of the key findings, which I thought was a little bit surprising for me, was that senior management and end users have roughly the same influence on user adoption, which for me underlines that we must reimagine how work gets done with employees front of mind 
and that people will internalize the change that matching their impression to the prediction of the authors of these changes of the organization. So having that experience and thinking of employees is just as important as a, as a really clear vision. In my view, it's imperative that firms and individual levels both actively engage with and shape and are shaped by the process over time. And this is dynamic and ongoing. It's not just a one-sort process. You've got to be really interested in understanding how this is working and being, being open to change at often. I mean, maybe a way to summarize it would be continuously reframing, which is about letting go of kind of your limiting beliefs. So I implemented this and I think it's perfect to allow new concepts and interpretations to evolve and to develop as the future of work and expectations of people and organizations change over time. The years and years, if they build it, they will come, wasn't it? I mean, that was the, you know, we've, we've rolled it out. It's live. It's brilliant. It's amazing. It's nonsense really, isn't it? And I think I was having this debate with somebody last week. I have an iPhone. It's great technology. Nobody can say it's not great technology, but do I go woohoo when it works really well? No. <laughs> and do I give two hoots about it if it can't do something I, I that I need to do? Of course I don't. I, I don't at all. And Simon and I, you know, for a while have been look, looking at well, what is organizational change. And it starts for us with what's humanly desirable. Technological feasibility is an important part of it, but you can't lead with that. That's the danger. Technological feasibility is everywhere today. So that point you made there about adoption or consumption is as much about the employee and the leader as it is about the ability of the technology to work and and the features, the functions. And and that's certainly been a huge point that we've been making. And I think this is where the, there needs to be a narrative shift. We were discussing this with David Perring and from Fosway in our episode that kicked off the, uh, 2023. And we were almost pushing him a little bit, you know, to go, is it, is it just adoption? Is it adoption of the technology or is it consumption of a process and believing in that process and driving an outcome? And he said, well, yes, of course it is, because there's a strategy to uh, that needs to be uh, executed. It's really interesting how things have changed because people come up with these ideas, but just that single idea from an organization, that no longer is enough. There's, I think there's more of emerging of saying how people are expecting and experiencing things would have just as big an impact as this belief. And even if you're buying the best product in the world and you're doing best practice by somebody's definition, that's on its own isn't enough. It's how people feel. And those two things together, if you do them well, that delivers really good outcomes. If you do them singularly, it's obvious that they don't get to the right place. This is probably the big shift, isn't it? I think organizations have had a lens for the last 20, 30, 40 years about how do we overcome these perennial challenges of attracting people, building skills, building that right culture, meeting compliance, et cetera, et cetera. And then you execute processes to make it happen. But the person who hasn't joined the organization yet is standing there going, why should I join you? What can I expect? What's this going to look like? Are you the right call for my career? From what I've read, maybe you are, maybe you're not. So there has to be that convergence now of those two populations. My daughters, bless them, are always referenced. I'm a father of twin daughters, Mark, and they're 14. Now, I can't imagine what they're going to expect from the world of work when they get to 19, 20, 21. So we have to take account of these generational shifts. You know, Sue Yell, who was the HR director of Warburton's, this is a family organization of almost 150 years, and she's got five generations working side by side. But she has to consider what the proposition is for the person who hasn't joined her yet. So your point about that convergence between what the organization is driving for, but I have to marry up with the person who hasn't joined me yet, or the person who's the eldest in the generation. So there's much to consider. So from an organizational perspective, then, there are many considerations today when it comes to executing a strategy. You, you mentioned about best practices earlier on. So processes, data, the desired output, permission models, for me, is a massive cultural question. So what is your thought process, therefore, from an organizational perspective? And, and and is there always a desire to be as connected as possible? Or does that sometimes maybe get in the way, if that makes sense? My going in position is kind of to execute these organized strategies. I, I think you need to interweave a whole bunch of things. This kind of foundation is on a Goldbreast five-star organizational design model. But it talks about strategy, people, structures, reward, and processes, and how these need to be integrated to ultimately kind of change behavior, influence, and influence the culture of the organization. 
for me, do they always need to be connected? My, my provocation would be yes. And we need to start thinking more in terms of journeys. How do people experience this in the, at the end? That doesn't mean it's always technically connected, but they need to flow in a way which makes it really easy to understand for people, but also help them along that journey. For me, at a practical level, I think of things like, how do we provide an engagement platform? And here my example would be is how do we democratize opportunities? Which speaks to if I do take the time to create this profile and if I do take the time to go look at internal opportunities, how does that really make it feel like this journey to allow me to develop my career, understand where I am I in my own development, but also how do I fit into where the organization is trying to go? I think it's also important to in when you look at that connector, but is is understand the transition phases and emotions that you want people to feel or believe and how you actively manage that. And then finally something that's it's in my mindset is really thinking about an agile and an ethics model. What I mean by agile is that we think differently about how we would design these these processes and what connectivity means. And that's kind of taking the time to define what is important to the organization, but also how would that sit with people? And that might involve observing and interviewing people, really getting some insights from individuals. I, I love design thinking and, and even define the first stage of empathy um, as love, but deeply understanding that and then using that to frame the way you'd approach this. What does this journey feel like? then start with the generating ideas and then prototype, which is the agile bit. The ethics model behind that is how do we really think purposefully about how AI and security and privacy by design feed into this? And what are the first questions we ask, potentially more difficultly in this engaged new world is how do we know that there is no bias in how these things are actually working? There's a lot I want to pick the bones out of in here, if I may. Because <laughs> I, I think these are huge, huge points, right? And let's look at this just for a second, if we may, from the individual. You talked about an engagement layer, engagement platform, democratizing op opportunities. So, you, so this is where you're very much looking at it from. I'm standing in the shoes of the individual. You talked about profiles and personas earlier on. Do we still, not judge, but... Um, look at people based on their roles rather than an individual contributor or where somebody's at in their career because it's still a human being irrespective of the role that they're in so how do you almost take into account that you have multiple personas are you trying to democratize and create an experience that is fits all or to your earlier point no it can't because it's a different interpretation based on each individual so are you almost, when you're thinking about that experience and that engagement, are you building autonomy into your design? Yes, the employees are a, a homogeneous group of one. The way we try to use, I try to use personas is, is at least understanding what's important in that market, in that dynamic. You start under, so not to assume that I understand that for the environment. So that's my central bit in there is I do expect people to be able to consume and create their own journeys to an extent within that construct. But at least foundationally, when you start that is saying, what is important in those environments to these groups of individuals and people to give me a, a base foundation. Uh, but for me, in terms of thinking of people in terms of jobs, I think skills is the new currency. Uh, and I yeah. think we should strip out this notion that it's a role or a job that fundamentally defines you or a blunt instrument like you have a degree from this place. Those things were important, but now I think it's much more thinking of people more in a holistic sense. I, I implemented a, a kind of skill-based AI solution. And what was fascinating is we had 15,000 non-skills uh, identified by individuals that weren't part of our framework. And that was fascinating because that for me was a signal people are believing I can be my whole self in this and I can find a way to demonstrate who I am. Fascinating for the organization is we have a much better understanding of tangential skills now. And that for me is just a way of making us all think differently about not pigeoning people in jobs and roles and predefined skills, but being open to understanding what that means. And that's how people I think will want to develop in the future. But it, it's just different, right? I think yeah. the mindset will be different. And, and also who knows what the traditional workplace contract will look like. We interviewed a lovely lady from Cirque du Soleil and we were talking about the gig economy and people who... Uh, I'll look at work very, very differently today in terms of the amount of time or working on a project or working on a program and then dropping off and going to do something else and coming back. So people are after these new experiences and building skills and adding to their their, their portfolio. 
But in terms of that autonomy, though, Mark, we've talked about there still needs to be organisational guardrails. It can't be autonomy with gay abandon. You know, there's got to be within the construct of what the organisation needs, I imagine. Yes, it does. And the design, I think, if you're trying to find the happy bit, it's kind of, there's a mix between what people want to do and out there in the market and all the upskills, but also what do you as an organisation want to drive? Mm. Um, that would be in terms of specific skills that kind of direct meaning strategy, but also behaviours. And that's where this purpose and culture really start forming in, how those two things come together. But I, I always see it as two, in my own mind, two entry points. One is what the organisation needs and drives and wants, and importantly, wants to establish as a culture and a framework. But yeah. then individuals having autonomy to say, what does that actually mean for me? Because as you said, Michael, I think this notion of we got joined one company and the only measure of success is promotion and salary is outdated. People will view tangential things to the left, the right. Yes. I also think your legal relationship to an organization will become irrelevant uh, in the future. You don't have to just be an employee and on employee. It's going to be about specific skills and opportunities that resonate with that program. I'm a big fan of kind of gig economy type thinking. Organizations is another great opportunity is let's not define work and people by an organizational hierarchy. Let's define work and people by skills and then put them in groups that can really drive what you want as an outcome. That's going to change all design forever, isn't it? I mean, it's fascinating when you think about it, but you have to move in that direction, don't you? You have to move. You have to move with the times. I mean, there's no ifs or buts about that. Yeah, and bringing back the theme of this this talk is connected. If you want me to feel connected and engaged to the organization, you need to allow me to express myself in other opportunities. And they're not just in my hierarchy and my line manager. These work right. with other people in other teams that drive different, allow me to develop further and new skills. Um, and they measure me on those things, not just this old model. You mentioned when you were you're doing some of the design and you've mentioned you're, you're a champion of design thinking and you talk about observing and doing interviews. Listening is inherently more critical today than I think it's ever been, right? So there's listening to understand if you're doing design, but there's also listening in terms of, well, how is this progressing or how are people feeling about that? What's the level of connection? What's the level of engagement? May I ask what your views are on listening strategies and how important they are to keeping a finger on the pulse? The word I'm trying to use now is listening in the whole. This thing used to be this thing which was policy in one environment and then there may be a service and there may be other things. Now listening for me needs, needs to be in the whole. So can we understand, I, I'm a fan of network analysis. Can I understand how information really flows in the organization? Can I combine in one single environment or way of thinking and reporting is how people feel about the organization then link that to how they consuming and using different services. And can we see patterns in that? What is can we demonstrate the level of engagement in a pulse survey mm. to certain outcomes and organizational teams? Like we start seeing where that magic happens. So for me, it's more trying to combine the different sources of data, which sounds simple, but if you can get to employee listening in the whole and you combine how I do work, how work is delivered, but these different components with other elements like developments, like are the best people getting new opportunities? Do we Can we actually show democratizing opportunities in terms of new uh, promotions and is there a correlation to how people feel and is there a lead to certain markets or certain environments and not just this kind of these singular bits that give you a little bit so it's more this construct of in the whole and then using that in, in that concept of really reframing and being agile and open-minded to say actually the data suggests that this isn't uh, people don't believe this is democratizing opportunities and therefore make adjustments very early in the series we did a whole episode on data because i think it is incredibly important you know you just mentioned there about you know listening into the whole but pulling data from obviously different sources i think data is underappreciated at times in terms of you know the currency that it is and and where it needs to be serviced and where it needs to be fed i, I really welcome your thoughts on this so when we're talking about a connected experience one of our major considerations is but are you surfacing the data that you need also at those right points because I think sometimes you can go a little bit too narrow and go, well, connected is, does this technology plug into this technology and does that technology plug? And I'm like, whoa, 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 hang on. But what about does the process connect to that process? And then do you have the requisite data servicing that process and servicing that process and that process? So there are many different little bits and pieces in here. Could you just give us your thoughts on that, please? 
I like using language like if you think of digital assistants, right? So they can be basic if they do that stuff. But what I'm saying is I want to do policy automation, which speaks to your, your way about servicing data. So if I type in parental leave, it knows who I am, where I am, gives me the policy, then takes me through the steps and then concludes all of that. But then presents the data to me and my line manager in a way which kind of just completes that process. So I think the thinking shifts to policy automation, which means you have to service the right data at the right place. In terms of how that, for me, one of the key things around data is really kind of all this multilateral thinking. So what interventions of what resulting impact on key measures in the organization? So what HR intervention, for example, has what resulting impact on margin, revenue, customer satisfaction, but bringing those together. But I think it's more and more important there's a proliferation of data. One of the big challenges, how do we bring that into a central place? And then you really start understanding what is really the true messages and themes within that data. I think there's a big place for data scientists. Yes. So I think functions are now sometimes trying to be a mini version of data science. I think functions should focus on the questions and internalizing the answers and allow data scientists and technology to really scrub the states in a meaningful way. I think that's the key word I keep coming around in my mind is, is, is somebody's got to interpret it. You know, somebody's got to understand it. Simon, haven't been ignoring you. Sorry, I've just been engrossed in this conversation. So, Simon, just want to bring you in and get your thoughts, please. Coming back to, in a sense, the question you asked, which is, you know, you've got these data points connecting together. You've got these process points connected together. What we hear time and time again is this dichotomy between, should I have the best functionality I could possibly get? Or do I have the most tightly connected data that I can get? And you, you get this pull and this tension between the two. And traditionally, across multiple different functions or, or processes or systems, et cetera. What, what are your thoughts on that? Because I think, I think you know, it, it's becoming easier to connect data, but it still comes with an overhead. It still comes with some sort of degree of maintenance. You know, should we still be thinking you know, best of breed wins or tightly integrated wins, or do we have to look in a different way at that sort of challenge? For me, one of the foundational kind of elements of a connected strategy, if I use that language, is embedding a single process and data environment. That doesn't mean you don't augment that with best of breeds where it makes sense, but at an operational transactional level, for me, it is having that single environment where all of that is still. I think that is really important because that allows you to then move up if you need to kind of bring in something which is more of a best of breed, but you've got it all in that single place. So I think that standard, single, simple environment where everything is in is a foundational element. Because if I come back to Michael's point, surfacing the data when I need it and to enable decision making means it needs to be in the flow of work and not the separate thing I might want to go and look for, wait three weeks for before I can make a decision. So does it sound extremely exciting, but I think it is a really important foundation element is have a standard single environment. And from there, you can either do the data or move up or down where you need to. Because connecting new environments, I think the switching costs have become quite low. And it's really, in my mind, if you have an API strategy, it's really simple to do. But without that single environment, it makes it difficult to actually get to the, the really important parts. And Mark, to my point earlier on, you know, 20 years ago, if you'd have put an iPhone in my hands, I would have been wowed. I would have been absolutely, I would have been like, what the, what is this? Today, like anything, you become accustomed and, and, and so it becomes just an expectation. So I don't think the individual these days has a real opinion or not on what technology I'm actually being surfaced. I just expect it to work. And also, because I'm used to omni-channel experiences as because the consumer where data is flowing here, there, everywhere, because I'm used to that, I just want that experience in the workplace. And when that doesn't happen, drives you nuts. Just just drives you nuts. It's like somebody asking me for a zip code when asking me for a postcode or <laughs> if I go to my order history and it doesn't know my last order. I mean, you just, you know, they just drive you insane. So I don't care about the platform necessarily, but I do want to know that the data is surfacing where it's helping me to do something. And that, for me, is a big fundamental point. So I started to talk about this Uber analogy. I don't think Uber is valuable to you because it's an app or a driver or a car. It is for me because it knows exactly where I am and exactly where I'm going. And to your point, uh, people expect that now. They yeah. expect you to understand, even if I'm in an HR process, that you understand where have I been, where am I going. My example here is in terms of specifically kind of democratizing development opportunities, is allowing people to really take control of where they are in their cycle 
understanding where am I, where do I need to be, and then be able to plug that gap in different ways. And it's not just singular going on a training course, there's opportunities, experiences, shadowing, but then creating an environment where people really feel I can go in, that understands who I am, where I am, but also where am I going, and then how the organization helps me to plug that. I think that's the, the point that I'm trying to make is it has to be integrated and flow. I mean, I think if we take HR as the custodian for people, inherently that badge is always going to sit there. The role of HR, I think, in, in some of this as well has to shift too, doesn't it? Because technology's grown and grown and grown. It can do way more than it's ever done, whether we touch on AI today or not. But there's no doubting that's going to accelerate even more in terms of policy automation, process automation, you know, surfacing data. HR almost needs to become a, a super designer in some respects, because how do you create these experiences that meet a huge, vast employee base with different in thoughts and difference in desires and different ways of doing things? HR as a function has to evolve too, right? I agree. One of my contentions is that the HRBP label will, will slowly erode over time. And I think HR needs to become orchestrators of work which is saying really deeply understanding what it is the organization needs to achieve and then finding the mechanism within yes. people. And that will be, I think, skill-based is my view on that. But then be able to shape those things. Like, so really doing strategic workforce planning based on skills that then inform a build-by plan, but use that to drive operational resourcing plans, which markets actually have these skills. And there's great technology, which says this scarce skill is in these types of markets, people that from your organization or other organizations are leaving to this organization and use that to orchestrate what work equals and, and then to help people kind of navigate this new world where you'll be part of a matrix environment, delivering specific initiatives and less a hierarchy as you said earlier. That's the quote from the episode for me. HR is the future orchestra of work. It's true though, in the, in the orchestrator rather of work. And I, um, I completely agree. I completely agree with that. So one of the things we always strive for, so we're talking about data and connecting processes and et cetera, and we've talked from the organizational outcomes, but let's just get into the so what. So in previous episodes, we've talked about this convergence of strategy, technology, and experience. Now, for me, that, that convergence point is the interesting bit because retaining people is getting harder. It is becoming a strategic imperative. People are wanting, as we've discussed today, a more autonomous experience. Let's sort of get into the so what a little bit then of how these elements are converging together to not only drive, if we like, those sort of optimal outcomes for the organization, but also driving them for the individual. And I suppose, Mark, what I want to sort of get into the nuts and bolts of is, is, is making it happen. I had the pleasure of sitting in the room when you spoke at our HR Connect conference in London last year, which was a great event, right? It was a great event. I was sat by the, a lady and we were listening to you and she said, oh, I've loved that. I love that. And I just said to her, it's the conviction. So it goes a little bit back to the belief today, doesn't it? That you're not creating a connected experience for the sake of creating a connected. There's a deep conviction that what you're creating is driving optimal outcomes. And that point is sometimes missed. So Jason Haverbuck said, I hate the term go live. It should be changed to get started, for example. Right? <laughs> so that's almost when you roll up your sleeves. Now the hard work starts. Now the rubber's got to meet the road. Now we've got to get the traction. Now we've got to get results, right? So big question, apologies, and we'll probably pick the bones out of it. So, but this is the so what, though, isn't it? This is the convergence to drive an outcome. Your thoughts, Mark? I think I want to anchor this discussion in or this question in, in two things I think are key features of future work. The first one for me is linked to this kind of internal crowdsourcing construct. I think the future workforce will be more decentralized and globally dispersed than ever before. And an implication for organizations is that they will need to allow for these consumer grade experiences. So even if I'm not in this specific work environment, how do I easily connect with these opportunities and then enable people to contribute their skills and expertise on specific projects and initiatives and, and to an extent largely become uh, location agnostic. That's the second one, which is a phrase I really like, I'm not sure who coined it, but it's called the Protean career. And, and this suggests that the future work as professional life will be managed, defined, evaluated from their own subjective perspective. And these like self-fulfillment and psychological factors will be the ultimate measure of success rather than things like salary and promotion. 
And for me, the critical implication for organizations is how do we enable people to grow as a whole person? So all of me, not just a single part of work as a priority and accept that, that I might be have a different style of working different times. And plus adapt to a, a reality for me where the individual values to an extent replace the collective future workforce's value. Now, with those two things in terms of a backdrop, I mean, for me, how do you actually really do that? I mean, I think one of the key things is how do you purposely think about establishing a highly skilled workforce with a high performance learning culture? And that that is making sure that the processes and the approach and the way people think about it is this this is an environment I believe and feel I can grow, develop, and I like the language of strive. Another interesting one, just slightly level off track, but it's kind of how do we make sure we have an equitable and representative workforce? I think the external data still proves that there is an imbalance, but how do we use AI and others in that process mm -hmm. to uh, allow us to demonstrate that to candidates, but also to employees internally? But ultimately for me, it it's about creating an environment where, where people have the belief that they can in this new construct of me thinking differently about work and my relationship to the organization, I can connect to a specific purpose. I can feel I belong to something bigger than myself. And then the organization is sincere in terms of the way it shows process and thoughts and opportunities to allow me to develop and contribute in the best possible way. There's enough data and research to show that a highly engaged person unearths discretional effort, drives a higher level of performance. I have to ask though, creating belief is not easy at an organizational level because we're, we're talking about change and ways of working and doing something that is really, you know, it's, it's a bit like what we, we talk about change at a personal level is simple. If I'm not happy with it, I make a change. At organizational level, it's very different. So how do you create that belief amongst a vast organization, which is what you've been doing? I think it, it starts with, with a clear purpose, right? Um, you have to anchor this in why we're doing this. Without that, it becomes a little bit of noise to an extent and not people will connect to that. So you have to be purposeful in my mind about what are we ultimately trying to achieve as an organization? Then underneath that is, is then developing a call of what is the message. In there, there's the simplicity of what's in it for me. I ran a design thinking session about why somebody would use a skills environment. And what's fascinating is the outcome was search. I will invest in this if I can find things and I can grow. But it's having that purpose and then being clear on the core message about what is in it for me. Then taking that one level down and, and to an extent, starting to empathize or resonate with different groups of people. What do we want you to think when you see this? What do we want you to believe, if I use that word again? Uh, what are the emotions that we would like you to feel? Uh, we want you to feel like this is an environment where I, I'm my whole self is welcome, that I can develop at my own pace and that I can get all the different things. So those kind of emotions, you create an emotional connection, I think at the base, um, and then I think you've got to have a kind of a three-tiered strategy. Obviously, we really need the executives to kind of send that message and share it and all that. But I think one of the most important groups is that middle layer. How do you really empower the, the middle layer, the line managers in that middle to start living and believing this and then make it something that we measure? Um, so move away from the kind of the old, just traditional type of performance management, but set objectives on, on the basis of what's the impact and then link that to this core and the emotions and beliefs you need to do, but also to the organization outcome. So I can see as an employee how these roll up. I think David Perring used it as well. He talked about organizational health and having a whole bank of different indicators. So not one or two, but a bank of them that give you a sense at any one point in time, how healthy are we? How healthy are we as an organization, not just from a business outcome perspective, but also from a people perspective. But what are the vital signs of the organization telling us. Do you subscribe to that kind of thinking? I, I absolutely do. I mean, I think there's, there's good academic research that, that proves in that employee engagement has the highest impact on discretional effort. And where there's trust, which is the word you used earlier on, and by inference, people feel connected, they're more willing to voluntarily engage in behaviors that go beyond the formal job requirements. But 
in many of these things, we're trying to change behavior and culture. And without foundational elements, um, yes, then people will be open to that. Um, if that trust isn't there and the environment doesn't allow, it just won't happen. It will be words on a slide. And I think at the same HR Connect event, Nick Lynn, who opened up the day, was making those same points that it's brittle. Culture today is quite brittle for some people. It's quite a, a loose thing of whether or not do I believe, do I trust, can I thrive? You know, is this the place for me? But you also mentioned the middle. I mean, I do think line managers have got a devil's own task at the moment, adjusting to what the world of work is, could be, will be, likely to be. Simon? Yeah, I was just taking it to its extreme in my thinking. Let's imagine now we have this skill-based future. Some of your skills will obviously be valuable to the outside the organization. How do you also engender loyalty? to stay within the organization to continue that growth versus having a more skill-based self-evaluation that says, I can develop better elsewhere. I think there's two parts that one is a purpose. If I can emotionally and personally connect to this organization and why we do things, and I can see how my work contributes towards it, I think that's a very strong part of that. Um, and then the second one I would say is kind of create an environment where I can develop and innovate within the organization. Often people might go to another organization because see a slightly different role or opportunity, but those often exist in the organization. And how do we create those? It comes back to democratizing opportunities, but also line managers thinking differently. I'm going to have the best people on my team. I'm going to allow one day a week of their time to work on something which is in a new market in another team, developing and building on a skill they have or would like to develop. I think if you combine those two things, that's the way you will drive it. Um, if you don't allow that opportunities, then then I think people will move because expectation of work is so different now, as we said earlier, that my psychological factors will drive why I stayed in an organization and why I'm engaged. And if I can't feel and believe and see that, um, then that you're likely to be. So I think those two things are for me the important ones. Not enough emphasis is placed on the psychological factors, and I'm not actually sure if they're understood totally as well. What does a human being actually need on a day-to-day -day basis to go home of an evening and go, I feel connected, I feel engaged, I feel appreciated, I feel valued, because ultimately that's what you have to get right. Those are the basic fundamentals that you have to get right. So I'm not sure the psychological factors that there's enough credence placed on them. I think it's the superficial things. There's too much emphasis. Oh, you know, we provide great tech and, you know, volunteering or there's, there's um, table tennis in the restroom or whatever it may be. Right. And they, they don't get you going home going, oh, I had a great day. I played table tennis on my break. I'm sorry, but they don't. Maybe for a future, it would be interesting to to understand what, what are the emotions that define that. And then how would you measure them without over-measuring everybody? Yeah. But then using that as a meaningful way to say, how do we answer Simon's question about creating loyalty? And what is it that will make me go home and say, I've had a fantastic day today? I think they're really important questions. So this has been fascinating, Mark. Thank you so, so much. But we always ask our guests to impart and share potentially some top tips, which is a smattering of wisdom. So if there's one or two or three things that you would leave our listeners with today, what would it be? The first one won't be a surprise. It's what other beliefs line managers, employees and organizations have to have to enable a connected and future-proof kind of environment, processes and outcomes. I designed a solution for gig economy. It was beautiful, mobile on a mobile. We loved it. It never worked. And the reason for that is that with very few line managers believing that they should give up their person's time for one day a week. So I think is is starting with making sure at an organizational and a line manager that there's a real understanding of the beliefs that will enable this. If we're saying allowing people to work at other projects or interesting work to, to Simon's question, how many line managers will get to release their best person? I think it'll be yes. the first one. Then um, my tagline for myself is align, innovate, and value create. And it's it's taking the time to actually align to norm. I think HR needs to be more purposeful about the business outcome. What are we trying to achieve? Align that, align to the purpose of the organization, and then use that to innovate, saying what are the things we need to do that will be different for employees, which, which takes into account new expectations of work, and then kind of creating what I call these value create these processes that are connected and, and kind of consumer grade in, in the in their whole. 
And then finally, I, I've got a really interested skill. So I'd say, I think skills are the currency of the future and we should be really exploring how AI in HR can enable unbiased and democratized opportunities for all, which I think will be the required response uh, as individual values are replaced by the collectives um, for the future workforce. On your line, innovate and value create, it's cart and horse, isn't it, right? It is classic cart and horse. You can't innovate until you're clear on what the heck you're actually trying to achieve. But that does not always happen. I see lots of companies saying we'll digitize HR. What does that mean? Why? Yeah. And if you do that in a very specific purpose, linking to the organization, and that's taking the time to actually really deeply understand how that flows into the organization, I think is is a central part of, of making sure these things deliver the expected outcomes, which often is culture and behavior now. Exactly. Mark Starfield, wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. Great conversation. I've got oodles of notes, so many takeaways, but I've got more questions, and I think that's always a good conversation. Uh, so thank you so, so much for being the guest on the podcast. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a, a really engaging discussion. Much appreciated. Thank you. Simon, I've been looking forward to this conversation with Mark for some months. I was delighted when he agreed to be a guest. I referenced in the conversation that I, I listened to Mark at our HR Connect conference in London last year, and I was just really taken aback by his level of conviction and a real purpose to how he thinks about work and how it's constructed, what it means, the impact on the organization, the individual. So I think that was a great conversation. I, I'm going to take away a lot from that, but I equally believe that we've surfaced again, things we've heard previously, perhaps. So can I start with you first and get your takeaways, please? Well, yeah, and it's really to build on what you just said at the end there. It's, you know, we're hearing things throughout our conversations with all of our distinguished guests, uh, and we hear things again in this episode that we've heard before, but it's great to hear them framed in the in the context of the Connected Enterprise. So we heard words like belief and trust. You know, we, we, that surfaced recently in the AI episode, but also in previous ones about having to build and generate belief and trust. In, in some circumstances is in the technology, but in other circumstances is in the organization or in your line manager, for example. We heard the words continuous reframing, which I loved, which is about constantly trying to stay fresh and, and, and in the moment, if you like. And of course, yeah, Jason talked about that with his distinction between you know, go live and go begin. And you know, the, it just being the beginning of the journey when you switch the system on, not, not the end of. Uh, and Elaine, of course, referred to that as well way back in episode three. And then even going back further than that, you know, um, Mark uh, talked a number of times about skills being the new currency, which was absolutely spot on in my mind. But we, you know, we talked about that back in episode two uh, with Lisa and Steve. So you know, we're seeing these recurring things coming back time and time again in, in whichever framing of the conversation we have. And I think that's super important because you know, these, are, these are key themes and elements, whatever the conversation Correct. And I think that's it, isn't it? They're key themes, they're key considerations. They need to be front of mind. And it, I suppose it links into that future of HR, the orchestrator of work, you know, being super designers, working from business outcomes, what does the business need, but then making it purposeful and relevant to the individual. Now, you know, we, we talked about that middle line management having a super, super role in terms of making it happen because the word you mentioned just there was belief. And I think this is incredibly important. How do you engender belief? How do you align people to a shared purpose? How do you do that? So I actually think in terms of the future of work, the challenges will be, can you provision technology, for example? I don't think that's the difficulty. The difficulty is, is how do you create that shared belief? How do you align people to a purpose? How do you get people engaged enough that they want to do it and it drives and moves the needle? I think that's going to be some of the hard work. I wanted to ask Mark today because we're talking about connected and connected means different things to different people. Is it just simply connecting technology? For me, when we think about us as consumers and omni-channel and this and this and that and that, I want data surfaced where I need it. And I think Mark concurred with that. That's, that is really important. And when we think about how AI is going to play a role in automating policies or processes or whatever, then it's really super, super important. 
And I think that was then that last part about the belief, the purpose, the align, the innovate. Can't be for the horse, and it can't be that way around. And we've talked about connections before with Jason, haven't we, as well? He talked yeah. about it's not about building technology connections anymore. It's about connecting with people. Correct. Yeah, and technology might be a route to doing that, but you've got to go beyond just the technology to achieve that. And yes. and then when you get that true connection, that's when that belief and trust hopefully will start to appear if you're going in the right direction, of course. You know, my takeaway from today, right, and why I was so grateful that Mark was a guest, sometimes we can get lost, can't we, in the preambles of, oh, the future of work and da-da-da and da-da-da. And sometimes it can be hyperbole, it can be theoretical, it can be this. The reality is this. He touched up on the psychological needs of the person when they come to work and etc. That is never going to go away. That's never going to change. The reality, however, is, is that the, the, the generations coming into the workplace are different. How they want to work is different. The style of it, how it needs to be organized. So the simple reality is this. The world of work will continue to change. Organizations will continue to have to reimagine. And that's just the way it is. And we need to have these conversations and debates because we're all in this together. I think there's a shared goal here to create the optimal future of work that is inherently going to be driven by skills, but it's a great place to work that is equitable, it's fair, and, and people can align, feel like they want to be there, and they can be their best. But it's also personalised. Marina talked about one size fits none. <laughs> oh, yes, she did. She really did, didn't she? And I think Mark was really almost saying that, that you know, when you look at profiles and when you look at opportunities, is it democratised? And that's brilliant. So huge thank you to Mark. I think our listeners will hopefully enjoy the episode, take a lot out of it, maybe feel challenged by some of it, which I certainly have been today. And that, I think, is always a good conversation. So until the next time, I hope everybody enjoys it. But until then, goodbye. Goodbye.